Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. So glad you have tuned in. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and say thanks for checking us out. And we'd invite you to click on the digital connection card up above or maybe leave a comment here in the chat window just to who you are and how we might be able to pray for you. And Or if there's a question you'd like to ask that we could find an answer for you, we certainly are grateful. And we certainly hope it's not your last time. So glad that you're here. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and say thanks to you also for spending some time with us today. It is the fourth Sunday of Easter, and as we celebrate that, I want to go back a couple weeks ago on April 12th, a number of us went into Mansfield Correctional as part of an event called Hope that is sponsored by Prison Fellowship and just got the pictures, and and I hope you'll be mindful of the 150 men that attended, and particularly the 27 men that made a profession of faith, and even the 50 Bibles we gave out. The pictures here give us a moment to reflect on what God has done and is doing. I went back in on Tuesday this week, first time I'd seen the guys since the event, and they were also encouraged by just the time of worship, uh, by Jeff Pollan and his music, and then by the message that was brought. And it was such an encouragement. It's one of the first events that's happened at Mansi in a number of years. COVID just so changed the way programs happen in facilities like Mansi. I'd invite you to pray for the men as they continue to lean into all that they have to encounter inside. You know, a couple of the men I shared with are working towards getting out in the next year or so and thinking about their next steps and so grateful that we can encourage them in that. And as we come to worship today, we come with the expectation of so many good things that God continues to do. We're in our series called Got Doubt, and as we've walked the last number of weeks on Easter Sunday, we we looked at the person of of Thomas, and yes, many know him as Doubting Thomas, but really the idea that Thomas was asking just the questions, and he needed Jesus to meet him in those questions. How beautiful it was when Thomas finally met the resurrected Christ, he is able to confirm and have a deeper belief in who Jesus is. And then last week we talked about leaning into understanding our insecurities and how it's in our insecurities when we're not quite sure what to do with life that we we question God. And yet I I really believe the way the scriptures are written and and what Jesus shows us through his written word is the idea that we have permission to do that, particularly as we think about David and all that David models for us in the book of Psalms. This week I want to talk about what I think I hear is the biggest complaint about the church is that uh, it's full of a bunch of narrow-minded, judgmental people that are called hypocrites. The problem is that people end up doubting God because they see others around them that claim one thing and live their lives in another way. It's very confusing. And I think in terms of our cultural conversations, that's the problem we find ourselves in, that there's so many people who are cultural Christians. When I was in the prison this week talking about the 18 inches from our, our head to our heart, how it's the translation of taking what we know to allowing it to translate into our actions. I can remember the classmates that I had after I came to faith, how on the one hand we were going to Bible study, But on the other hand, they were getting high on the weekends, just didn't quite know what to do with that. And then I also think there's just how we treat each other. And even today I saw a clip from the Jackie Robinson movie of his time in America that seemed such a disconnect where 
even as a lieutenant serving in the armed services, even as a lieutenant serving in the U.S. Army, he was treated so horribly because he was of a different color. And then others that I know, men who give all sorts of grief to their daughters because of how they dress, and at the same time, I know those men struggle with pornography. And I just, again, it's a disconnect. When we think about those that are in leadership in the church, particularly pastors, and how on the one hand, many look up to them and then find out that they're living some kind of double life. And again, I think it's very confusing. It's confusing for me, and I'm guessing it's confusing for you, but I think it's also confusing to the world as they watch us to see if what we say matches up with what we do. And unfortunately, when we think about where the church finds itself today, tragically, I think so many people When they think of church, they think about these things, these words like scandal and abuse and corruption, and then this word hypocrisy and and judgment and hate, and really trying to understand what it is that we need to be and do without compromising the gospel, without compromising what God calls us to be. Even our friends at the He Gets Us campaign, this video here about the rebel. A rebel took to the streets. He recruited others to join him. They roamed the hood and challenged authority. Community leaders feared them. Religious leaders abhorred them. We have to get them off the streets, they said. But they weren't part of a gang spreading hate and terror. They were spreading love. Again, he gets us as trying to help unpack an understanding about people and culture and time that seems so different, particularly as churches in this current season struggle, struggle with their place and purpose in the local community. And it's interesting, one of the great Christian writers, recent Christian writers, uh, Brennan Manning says this, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And I think it's so hard when we think about it. And I know in my own story, over the many decades that I've been a follower of Jesus, how many times I've experienced failure in the church, have seen uh, pastors who, in my own uh, growing up, who were accused of moral infidelity, and what that did to the church, and in some cases, that has never been resolved, that the uh, vestiges of that still lingers because we didn't confront and didn't lean in and didn't deal with it. We swept it under the rug and went on to the next thing, and, and yet the mental abuse that comes because of that. And so I think we live in a season right now that is filled with confusion and with hurt and with disillusionment. Uh, because there are Christians who don't live like Jesus. And when we think about when Jesus walked on the earth, the people he walked alongside, the ones that he was most harsh to were those that are hypocrites. In fact, here in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's Matthew 23, 27 through 28. Now, what's interesting, the word hypocrite here, it happens in the Bible 17 times, and every time it's with Jesus speaking, and in every case, it's Jesus correcting 
the people he's talking to. Now, what's interesting about this word hypocrite, it originally came into the language through the Greek plays, through the stage actors, and it was basically one who wears a mask. As actors played different parts, they would use masks to hide who they were and to uh, tell stories, to go from being a poor woman to being a powerful man. And what we've come to understand is that Jesus is the first person who takes this word hypocrite and uses it outside of the theater. And what Jesus talks about in the Gospels is those that are generous with their giving, that they want to be seen, or those that lean into the discipline of fasting, and they do that to impress others, or even the idea of praying. They pray out loud so as to be heard. And really what's happening here is they pretend to be generous, and at the same time we know that they were taking advantage of the poor. As we unpack this idea of hypocrite, is what Jesus wasn't doing. He wasn't calling out the sin that was in the person's life. What he was doing is he was pointing out the show. Because what's interesting, he didn't say to those, and doesn't say to us, woe to you who cuss, or woe to you that watch bad shows on Netflix. No, he says, woe to you hypocrites, where you do it and you act like you don't. Think about this. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 33, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Wow, uh, pretty harsh there, isn't it? Jesus confronting those men uh, for not living into what they're supposed to be through their actions of faith. So what I want to look at here, three different reasons why I think so many Christians miss the mark, why they get it wrong and understanding how we're supposed to live out our faith. So the first point is this, is some people who claim to be Christians really aren't Christians. It's interesting in the writing of Titus, chapter 1, verse 16, the author says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. Let me say it this way, and, and this is going to go maybe from a little teaching to preaching and maybe even a little meddling. When we think about just where we found ourselves in our churches, that there's many things we need to say clearly, that just going to church doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is following Jesus passionately. And also to say that believing in God doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is following Jesus and his actions and his life and his teachings. And so we have this first idea that some people who claim to be Christians, they aren't really Christians. They really haven't leaned into the process of sanctification, of becoming more Christ-like. And, and part of that is, too, the second point, which leads us to the statement that some are Christians, but they aren't mature. Again, the writer of Hebrews says to us, uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So part of this idea is that we haven't grown up, that we're still drinking milk when we should be eating steak, so to speak, that we should be leaning into being fully devoted, that as we spend our time with Jesus, as we grow to love his word and, and we apply that word into our life, it's going to make a difference. And it is this process called sanctification of becoming more holy, more set apart for the work of the kingdom. So this third point is that some are Christians and they are growing in their faith walk, they are maturing, and yet they still mess up. And so I, I see this, especially as I walk alongside those that are incarcerated, is 
the brokenness that they have to lean into. And part of it is, is grounded in uh, just what they've experienced in life. That doesn't necessarily mean that those men that I see or others are hell-bound because they're hypocrites. Because I think there are people who can love Jesus and yet tell a, a lie. Or they can love Jesus and still be harsh and be mean to other people. I think people love Jesus. I've got a friend right now that's walking this season, says they love Jesus, and yet they've been involved in an affair. And I just, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, it, because it's all about the things that they haven't grown up and leaned into. And I guess maybe one way of saying this is that no matter how long we follow Jesus, that we are vulnerable to sin because we're told in Scripture, right, that all men fall short of the glory of God. And yet sometimes what ends up happening, right, is that when we do fall short, we'll right away blame our circumstances. But what's amazing is when we look at someone else and we see them fall short, we blame it on their character. So I guess what we need to lean into uh, this idea that when sin enters in, God is not shocked by any of that. And why is that? Well, because he knows who we are. He knows that one of the things that makes us human is the fact that we are sinners. That's why Jesus had to come and rescue us. In Psalm 103, verse 14, the writer says, For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. And also, when you think about it, when we get hurt by Christians, I think part of the problem is, as we try to unpack it, is that sometimes our expectations are too high because the reality is, and this is my story, as I'm going to guess is it's much your story, is that when I do something to let you down, you know what? I'm going to. And so when we think about this, we think about the reality that each of us are there, but by the grace of God go I, right, in our own brokenness. So I think we can center ourselves as we enter into these things and sober ourselves in the reality that we are dust, that we, yes, have our image because of who God has made us, but to also be reminded that we are sinners and we are in need of salvation. We see in the scriptures, particularly in the book of Acts, some beautiful things happen as the Holy Spirit arrives after the resurrection. And, but it isn't too far into the story of uh, God building his kingdom that things go south. So there's a story here in Acts chapter 13 where we meet Paul and Barnabas. And the writer says, The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. And what's interesting with this is, you know, how did Paul and Barnabas respond to that? Well, they could have uh, quit the church at that point and said, what a bunch of hypocrites. But that's not what they did because they didn't focus on just the offense. So what's interesting here is it wasn't the church that let Paul and Barnabas down. It wasn't the church that betrayed them. It wasn't the church that hurt them. In fact, it wasn't the whole church. It was just a few people. Now, I guess one of the things we need to be reminded, and one of my favorite books is by uh, retired pastor John Ortberg. The title of the book is People Are Normal Till You Get to Know Them, right? Because there's lots of folks who, as they lean into relationships, it gets messy really quick. Where we get into difficulties is like, well, I can't go to church because the church is filled with hypocrites because people have hurt me. Well, I don't know that that follows because... As one might say, just because a restaurant gives bad uh, service doesn't mean you're going to quit eating. You're going to find a different restaurant. 
So what's interesting here, uh, what Paul and Barnabas decided is that they weren't going to let the sins of the people keep them from the goodness of God because the reality is people are broken. The reality is, as the psalmist reminds us, that we're just dust. And the truth is, outside of uh, loving Jesus and being in relationship with him, we're going to let people down, that I'm going to let you down. And so it's interesting here as we continue reading in Acts, in verse 51, it says, So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So here's sort of a practical understanding, right? It's not easy. And I'm sure for Paul and Barnabas, it wasn't easy to sort of head off down the road to the next place. But the reality is, if you're filled with joy, it's pretty hard to carry a grudge, right? I mean, when you're leaning into trusting Jesus and making him Lord of your life, it takes a lot of effort to carry a grudge in that moment as you read the scriptures and as you walk with him in your quiet time, as you play worship music and encourage your own heart to follow after him. So I think where it gets really practical, and it goes back to this idea of the biggest complaints that we've heard about the church, is that the church is full of a bunch of narrow-minded, judgmental uh, hypocrites. So I have conversations with many people around these very ideas, that the church has offered judgment and has created disconnect, and that people feel like they're not wanted. And I, I have to admit, even in my own journey, there are times where I haven't always gotten it right, and my response hasn't always been the best. That I think all of us have, as we follow Jesus, we have said one thing and we've lived another. And I also have to say that, that when we look at those that are in power and those that are in leadership over us, that there are uh, some church leaders that have abused power and have used it against uh, others. I have received that in a couple of circumstances. And it does take you out uh, because we get focused in the moment as opposed to looking at what God's doing. Because the reality is, as human beings, that we can be arrogant and be harsh in our words. We can be unkind in the things that we say. We can be unloving. And there, there can be times where we're just not right. We don't have the right perspective. And I just have to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for when I don't get it right. But I'm also sorry for those that have maybe been in leadership around you that haven't gotten it right and have created a disconnect for you. We all have been hurt by hypocrites, people who say one thing and then do another. But I have to confess, I've been a hypocrite. The reality is I think all of us have been hypocrites. Because what? I mean, I know in my own story, uh, I am not perfect. Sorry if I disappoint anybody, right? I lose my temper. I say things. I act in a prideful way sometimes. I can be overly critical sometimes. It's just the way I'm wired. I tend to, in conversations and leadership and in, in groups that I'm part of, uh, sometimes I, out of my passion to want to see things move in, in a direction, I'm quick to make uh, judgments that maybe aren't the best in the moment. And I think sometimes many of us, I know I am, are, are, I just want to be right. Uh, and, and so I need to repent from that, and I do. I, I need to be more loving and giving uh, an act of kindness as opposed to wanting things to be my way. And so I need to say this, and this is why we're talking about this, because I think there are many people have walked in a season where they're just not quite sure what to do. And so specifically I want to say that if you have lost your faith in Jesus because of people, 
part of the reality is that maybe your faith is in people when it should be in Jesus. Too many times we focus on those who we walk with as opposed to focusing on him. Because the reality is when we look to him, what he taught, how he lived, even how he loved, it's when we put him in front and center. It's when we put our eyes on him and look to him to give us guidance. Because the reality is over the decades, over the centuries, the church has abused power at many times. And even when Jesus was walking on the earth, he confronted the leaders who used their power to oppress. And, and within the church, there are those that will snub their noses to those that are different. And we see this with Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus, they liked Jesus. And they, in fact, when we think about it, who did Jesus spend time with? He, he loved the sinner, and he, he loved the tax collector, and he loved the prostitute, and he loved the outcast. And yet, people accuse Christians of being narrow and judgmental. And when we look at Jesus, everywhere he went, he showed compassion for the least and the last and the lost. And so what we need to see here is that Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy, that he has unlimited grace for a sinner in need of forgiveness. And what he asks of us, and I think in our modern day, we've, we've walked away from this idea. We really don't talk about sin because when we get it wrong, when we are sinners, we need to repent when we uh, act sinfully. We need to apologize. And then in that apologizing, we also need to forgive others when they have sinned against us. That's what we say when we say the Lord's Prayer, right? Is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so in the way we walk alongside Jesus, in the way we do life with each other, it gets complicated. And the more closer we get to each other, the more we move out of our rows into circles where we get into more relational kinds of opportunities, that's where it can all take on a whole new meaning. And it can be complicated. Again, John Ortberg, people are normal to you get to know them. When you really start leaning in, you find out that there is things in my life, there's things in your life, there's things in the lives of those around us that it's, it, we're imperfect. And it just points to the fact that we need a Savior. It points to us the grace that we need to show each other. To say it simply is that we are all sinners in need. And once we've come to a, a profession of faith in Jesus, then there by the grace of God we walk together and that we need to offer to each other the same grace that Jesus has given to us. And that's our call. So again, I just want to say if there's someone in church leadership that has hurt you on behalf of the church as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, I say I'm sorry. And I pray that you'll receive the grace that comes with that, knowing that Jesus came, took on flesh, moved into the neighborhood to bring life and to bring restoration, to reset things back to the way he desired them to be at the creation. And that day isn't quite here yet. And so we need even more, I think, today to extend grace to each other as we continue to do life with each other. And then more particularly is to offer the hope of the gospel to those around us, to those that we work with, to our family, to those that we encounter uh, in our communities. So I pray you'll join us in that continuing task of bringing the kingdom. And so let's pray. 
Jesus, we are grateful for the hope that you give us. And as we lean into understanding our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, we pray that we can offer the same grace and mercy and kindness that you show us to those around us. And we just pray that through your Holy Spirit, we would be strengthened for that purpose. And we pray it now. Amen.